HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. This is the Farm Report, and I'm your host today, Erin Fairbanks. We are coming to you live from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. And today on the Farm Report, we're going to be talking the law. We are in the studio with Jason Fascolo, uh, who is a practicing attorney in the state of New York with a focus on food law. Jason, welcome to the studio. Thank you very much. So, uh, you know, in your, in your bio here, it says you work primarily with um, farmers and food entrepreneurs. And I'm just curious, uh, why do farmers need a lawyer? Um, most people who step into agriculture for the first time don't understand that this is um, probably one of the, the most intensely regulated industry we have in the United States and the most comprehensively um, regulated industry that we have. So for a newcomer, for a new beginning farmer or something like that, or even an established um, farmer who's had some financial success even, um, there are a lot of legal loopholes, a lot of legal advantages to being a farmer, um, and there are a lot of special burdens to being a farmer as well um, that can't be, those are, you know, and they present legal issues that really can't be tackled by a typical general counsel. Got it. So um, is there a difference, you know, the, the farmers or the farms that you work with, um, do they tend to be of a particular size or is there like a threshold where someone should be really thinking like oh man i want to have an attorney like in my kind of wheelhouse does that click in at some point or is it kind of good practice for someone at any level or even kind of considering entering the field um from the minute a farmer needs to plant they need to start thinking about um some type of access to legal expertise you can't grow anything without land if you're going to buy or lease that's your threshold issue right there um, and um, uh, a, a trained attorney, especially a trained attorney who's um, intimate with the agricultural industry, can help you at either of those two basic, basic entry-level points that are fundamental to farming. And, and then how is it different for, I mean, small-scale, uh, f- like food, um, 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 uh, 
Once again, tripping, tripping up. Wow, double tripping, triple tripping. I'm no, I'm just joking. Um, um, for 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 food entrepreneurs, I mean, what is your kind of like uh, entry point for them? Uh, how do you mean? Like, I split my practice up into two general areas. There's food producers and there's food uh, processors. So okay. I have a, a farmer side. Um, and I have some legal tools that I deploy for, for just them. Um, and I have a whole other set of things that I do for people who wants a person who wants to say package of food or distribute a food or, or something like that. So um, on the on the small scale farm side, okay, um, most th- this is my favorite example of, um, of of a lawyer adding value, which I understand is completely counterintuitive. However, bear with me. <laughs> Depends on if you have any lawyers in your life. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's just say you you have a small farm. Okay, you're starting out in a, in a you know small operation, an acre, two acres in your leasing land. Um, most of the people that are entering agriculture now tend to do something soil enhancing, or they tend to have some type of agricultural practice that is beneficial to the community, to the soil, um, to to what pick, pick your you know pick your angle. Uh, people who are coming into agriculture tend to pick one of those and uh, and go with it and use it as a as a marketing angle. If you're going to do something like organic agriculture to a piece of leased land, that requires thought, that requires planning, that requires investment in that dirt. Uh, and if you're leasing it, if you're leasing a piece of land from somebody, that's not necessarily value you can get back unless you plan for it in the right way. Um, there's a couple ways to do that. You can get a rebate for um, for some soil enhancing practice from your landlord, perhaps, uh, or you can just merely extend the term of the lease out for a long period of time so that you can actually recoup all that hard work um, and, and that transfer of wealth that you put uh, that you put into somebody else's dirt. It's just like putting an extension on somebody's house that you're renting from, um, and you wouldn't do that without without proper planning. Um, there's 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 always a good there's, it's always a good time to start right at the very beginning, thinking about your value as an agricultural producer and calculating it, getting it on paper. Yeah, no, I mean you're really touching on some of the critical issues for people who are looking to enter farming. You know, with land access being such a barrier for folks, often end up renting or, or leasing and the terms of those leases can have a really significant impact into what type of food you produce and yeah what value you're going to be able to take away at the end of those terms so absolutely how did you get into this field what's what's your background um, i have the I, i'm a suburban kid from long island um I've, i can't really grow that much i'm, I'm trying to diagnose an issue with a, my bay plant right now which has black spots on the leaves if you can help me with that or know anybody anyone out there tweet um, us <laughs> I, I really, uh, I really don't have any uh, any skill in in, in agriculture, uh, but I do have a passion for it, uh, a genuine, earnest passion for people who grow food. Um, and uh, I'll tell you this: I mean, I, I I like the clients. I like the clients a lot. I can say that, um, and I don't think my criminal attorney colleagues can can say something like that. But these are good people that I get to work with. Um, they have good hearts, um, and uh, they're generous, and they are innovative and very smart. Um, and it's it's a it's a real pleasure for me to um, get myself into this industry where I can be around such talented, creative, and passionate people. Now you went to the University of Arkansas, and yes, I did. they have a program there in agriculture and food law. Is mm-hmm. that typical of law schools? Uh, no, that's the only one in the country that has that um, that LLM program. Um, it's it's a, an agricultural extension school, um, so it's very technical. And it's uh, kind of nonpartisan, kind of non-biased. Uh, they are open to all types of um, agricultural practices, commodity agriculture, as well as any any other kind of alternative practice that you could imagine. And they really gave me um, a, a set of tools that 
um, I could hit the ground running with as soon as I left the program and start representing people, start giving uh, people advice on um, on how to do stuff, how to, how to improve their businesses. Um, I, I could not do what I do without that program. That is the best. Um, that's the best educational experience I ever I ever went to. It immersed me in a completely new culture and a completely new uh, industry. And you know, when, when I did set out, I felt capable of doing that. They get they get that program basically took a suburban kid who spent five years in the Marine Corps uh, and and turned me into someone who could actually add value to uh, to anybody's agricultural operation or, or food business. So it, you know, one of the interesting things I feel like. Friends of mine who are in the legal field, they they feel like they've gone to law school to essentially learn this second language, mm-hmm. you know, learn how to kind of speak the law, understand the law. But you ultimately learned how to like speak the law, but then also speak food or speak farm talk, which I think I've found personally like speaking with with farmers and understanding those issues can oftentimes feel similarly like delving into this whole other kind of culture language world and i'm curious can you give us an example of some of the the classwork the coursework that they provided for you at the school that that kind of lined you up for the work you're doing now yeah sure um all um i don't want to get too technical on you but all all pork in america is basically grown on contract they have a a big company like uh, smithfield pork and they tell a farmer Here's here's uh, here's some piggies. I want you to babysit them. We'll come back when they're mature and we'll harvest them. Um, that's kind of like a command. The, the, the company gets to command production. Okay, um, that's a good model for creating efficiencies. The way a, a large pork producer, you know, does come up with some inequities. Let's just say to be polite, not to put too fine a point on it. But you could take that same model, that same contracting model, and pass it off onto someone who's raising pork on pasture. Um, you could you could create an efficiency that way. You could uh, have a um, a person who's got a really good breed, say, and a really good um, formulation for growing quality pork that other people want. Um, you can get them to expand that business on that model without having to invest in more land or at least more land or purchase more land. Um, it's a really innovative way to um, order food to be produced with a very very uh, low capital threshold, which is that's the that's the uh, magic formula to me. Not all the other attendant attendant horrors of commodity production necessarily but that's a good idea that that kernel of an idea is a very good one and it could be applicable to any alternative producer the kernel of the idea being the the contract model the or con- yeah the, like something something like a, a simple mundane contract can be a really effective tool to uh, order really good food to be made it's something that the commodity industry created or thought of and their lawyers did that and you could take that model and uh, graph it onto a different agricultural practice and yield a, a much more beneficial result. So why do you think people or more people aren't doing that? Um, this is, uh, I don't have a brand of food law. You know, if you if you started a cookie company, you wouldn't call, oh, I got to call a food lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's the, just the, that's a temporary issue. I think that's the reason why more people aren't doing it. It's only, uh, it's a new thing. I'm, I'm one of the few attorneys trying to push those services out to alternative producers. And uh, it'll just take a little time, but um, I know you know, over the over a longer period of time, I'm absolutely certain they will see the value in in treating this uh, this industry as a sophisticated as a sophisticated industry that it, that it really is, and they'll start deploying some of these tools. And not just not just me. <clears throat> There's special accountants that uh, you know specialize in rural businesses. Um, they'll start delving into these other professional services as well as time goes on, and as more people come into the culture. So the, I mean, you kind of hear hear about or, or think about in the kind of large scale commodity um, 
model, there is this kind of uh, idea that there are these group of big farmers, business owners that are protected by this line of, of fancy lawyers who, um, you know, are out there to kind of you protect them. I mean, mm-hmm. essentially, that, that's, that's their job. Now, are those type of attorneys going through a similar training that you went through? Or when you're at that kind of scale of production, is that a kind of a different style of law or practice than than what you're working on? That's a pretty astute question. Um, The laws that we have that uh, regulate food and food production and food sale, um, they really were never written to scale. They were always written with the large corporation in mind. Um, But uh, some of the special benefits, for example, like uh, farmers have their own bankruptcy code. We have, you and I have one, farmers have their own. That was written for, you know, larger family farms in the Midwest, um, but it's perfectly applicable to someone if they meet the minimum requirements who's growing on a rooftop here in Brooklyn. So we do have all these special laws. Um, they were, and, and for 50 years, we've had nothing but consolidation in, in food distribution and production. Um, so uh, it was always, it was just written with, with those types of producers in mind, but um, anybody who's in agriculture now can take the benefit of those protections. Absolutely. So essentially, it sounds like you you exist to demystify some of those processes. Yeah. For for so what about cost? I mean, you know, one of the things you look at in in farming is kind of the inputs and outputs of your farm and wanting to be able to control your cost and be super efficient. So I think there's a real kind of history um, and. Um, I don't know, like a industry imperative to do kind of everything by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you're essentially posing that, that folks should outsource some of these tools or should bring someone else in to help them make some of these decisions. But how do they, you know, what can they expect from a cost perspective, bringing someone like you in, into, their, into their realm, as, you know, as a percentage, maybe not as a dollar amount, but like what, what and what's the kind of return on investment that they can expect from you know, using services that you would provide or engaging you in some of those decisions? Um, using a professional service is, is, um, gives you an incremental advantage. It's a good habit to get into. Everyone's going to start off with an acre. They're going to move up, and eventually, hopefully, um, all of their income will come from their agricultural activity. Um, so it's important to set the expectation right. Uh, I don't save the day. An accountant's not going to save the day. They're going to make you a, f- a few dollars here. I'm going to protect you from a risk there. Um, but it's a, it's just a good habit to get into. Um, I understand that there are very thin margins in the business that I'm you know trying to, the practice that I'm trying to build, and I'm very sensitive to that. So I do have a pretty robust um, pro bono or low bono uh, you know service that I offer. But but that's me. Um, m- most of the lawyers aren't that way. Um, but I understand that uh, you know I, I am in this for the long haul. I know these businesses are. This is the way everyone's going to eat in in 30 years, and they're, they're not always going to be small. Um, and they're going to get more ambitious. And having me as a friend and as an advisor and as a counselor to those businesses, I can help them get to that point. Right. So then finding like a sustainable model for you and your business, but also kind of seeing things in, in the big picture. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we are going to take just a short break and when we get back, I'm hoping we can talk into a couple of uh, examples of the type of work that you've done so far and, and some of the things you're hoping to do in the future. So hang tight. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. This is the Farm Report and we'll be right back.
You're listening to Jade Jones, produced by Heritage Radio Network's own Jack Inslee on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Did you know that pollinators are needed for more than two-thirds of the world's crop species? Most of these pollinators are bees. However, North America's bee population has been steadily declining since the 1990s. Whether you live in the country or the city, you can show your commitment by hosting a hive in your backyard or even on a rooftop. The beekeeping movement is growing, so you're sure to find swarms of folks who can help you find your way. Learn more about the ways you can help be the solution at WholeFoodsMarket.com slash share the buzz. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a member-supported nonprofit organization. If you like what you're listening to, go to our website and click that donate button. Become a member and get special discounts, invites, VIP treatment, t-shirts, and more. Support us in our mission to bring you the freshest food content in the nation. All right, we are back. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, and we are in studio with Jason Fascolo, uh, who's a lawyer out in Southampton, New York, and focuses primarily on on food and farming. So, Jason, before you before you pursued the the law degree, you were a member of the Marine Corps. Is that right? Yes, I was a judge advocate. What is a judge advocate? Uh, a judge advocate is a lawyer who's in the Marine Corps, a uniformed officer. Um, who uh, represents um, either the military. Um, they, they have lawyers too. You know, they have um, environmental laws in particular that they have to uh, obey. Um, and a judge advocate gives the uh, commanding officer of the, pers- you know, the person you're working for um, advice on how to comply. But um, we also do criminal justice. Um, that was where I learned how to uh, litigate in criminal court. Um, I, did a, I, I lived in Japan for three years, and for two of those years I was a defense attorney. And when you were kind of abroad, did you get to, to to tuck into any other types of like agricultural food production models that you, or did you see things in the in the in your travels there that you kind of bring back or use in your work now? Absolutely. Well, it, it gave me um, that was the first time I'd ever li- lived and was immersed in a in another food culture. You know, yeah, I had done some travel before that, but um, you know, I, I tended not to eat on base at all. I always went off base, and I always got lost. You know, in a good way. And uh, I remember. My first month there, I was sitting in a um, uh, a small pub, and um, my eyes were were tearing from the amount of smoke in this room. Uh, that was where the food was being made right off of a um, wood wood fire grill, and I thought that was really cool. Um, that never happened here. You know, we were we were always too sterile, too clinical about about food here, um, and, and and that was like my starting point to you know begin my real immersion. And um, and I got to travel around a lot more, and I've seen a lot more other things that, you know, other food preparation techniques, let's say, that we're not, you know, we wouldn't see in the United States. And it was intriguing to me. Um, I, 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 I started to uh, analyze, uh, you know, what made that, what made that, what allowed that guy to, um, to, to 
burn wood and cook my food over it, and it was the law. That was the real fundamental difference between their culture and ours. And that was the first time I had a realization that uh, the, the power of the law is very underrated um, when it comes to building a food system. The law can order different crops to be made, subsidize different crops to be produced. It could regulate how you make it, how you cook it, how you serve it. Um, and I was already a lawyer. So, um, you know, I mean, I toyed with the idea of leaving the, leaving the profession and, um, and learning how to cook professionally. But I said, hey, you know, I'm already in. Let me, let me see how I can, um, you know, put my passion for food um, into into the, the profession I already have, so um, that's why I went to that LLM program. That's why I uh, I started practicing this way. It really was all because I was in Japan. I was immersed there, and um, and I just got to eat some really cool things that I could never eat here. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like in my experience, I when, especially for some reason, people who work in the legal field, when I talk to them about what I do, and then I turn, I'm like, oh, what do you do? They're like, oh, I'm a lawyer. Uh, you know, there's like nobody's ever like, I'm a lawyer and it's awesome. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I made the mistake a couple of weeks ago of telling someone that, you know, someone asked me a question. Hey, what, what, what is food law? You know, what do you do? And that, that kind of question, you know. And, uh, and I said, oh, you know, food, food law reinvigorated my love for the law. And, and I said, wait a minute, that's not accurate. I was never invigorated, you know, in, until, I, until I got here, um, until I, I started to analyze a, a, a body of law and a whole system of law that regulates the things I love to eat. And, um, and and regulates these good people that are trying to make a living making a cookie, planting planting beans or something like that. Um, that's that was what uh, triggered my my first love for the for the law is getting these helping these people get their products through a very regulated and very intrusively regulated um, legal system. Well, yeah, no. So you had mentioned that the, you know the kind of you do the farming focus, and then the other aspect of your business is pro- processing and production. Mm-hmm. So for folks, you know, there's. A, definitely an explosion here in Brooklyn of small-scale producers, but then I think there's, that's really happening across the country. And Would you have any kind of like do's and don'ts and broad strokes for folks who are looking to get into the production end of things? Yeah. Um, people have to ask questions. People need to engage, uh, well, fundamentally, people need to engage uh, the right kind of professional service, period. Um, but, but secondly, you know, understand. You have to understand that things would be things are regulated for you that you would not ordinarily expect to be regulated. Um, one of the one of the cornerstones of my practice is food labeling review. Um, every single aspect on a label, from the font to this to the type of name you could pick for your product, is regulated by federal law. Um, and, and people people tend to design a label based on aesthetics, and it's not that way. The people at the FDA don't have a, a, a sense of aesthetic, let's just say. They want to see compliance. Um, and it would be unexpected for someone who has a really great jam or a, whatever the product is. Um, regulation will come at you from unexpected quarters in this business. And you have to at least, at the very least, be alert um, to, that, to that expectation. Be aware of that expectation and um, alleviate it either by asking a lot of questions on your own of the right people or engaging the, you know, the services of a professional to help you. Yeah, well, I mean, I know that a lot of farmers have, um, you know, especially here in New York, you see at the green markets a real increase in uh, value-added products, either like, you know, cut and and flash-dried or tomato Mm -hmm. sauces, jams, jellies, pickles, preserves. Um, When uh, Is there a difference when like a, a farmer, like a producer, is also becoming a processor that, I mean, does that benefit them in any way to have one person kind of wearing both hats where it's like my farm and my tomato sauce versus having those be two kind of separate entities. Does that make sense? 
Um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, it, it doesn't really matter so long as you produce produce safely and you limit your legal liability for whatever activity you're engaging in. And in food, liability can come from a couple different places. It can come from the, the biggest liability for anybody. If you can something or if you, even if you grow something is making somebody sick. Um, if you do make somebody sick, you are liable for all the consequences of that under U.S. law. So like um, the spinach common. outbreaks that we saw um, – so that I mean that tra- when they if they trace that back to contamination in the field, like what type of th- they're like what are they exposed to from a risk perspective there? I mean that's like a large grower out yeah. in California, but um, they're they're on the hook for yeah we we have a word for it. It, it actually uh, it's called strict liability. Um, in, in the food business, you don't get to you know if you checked your dial, your temperature dial a lot, or if you check the pH of something or. Swab your lettuce, test batches of lettuce before it went out the door. None, none of those are valid defenses. Um, if your food made somebody sick, you're going, you're going down for it. You're getting, you're, you're liable for those, uh, for those injuries. Just like the spinach. The spinach is the big one. People eat that raw. Um, it, it, it tends to be sprinkled on a lot of stuff. Uh, it, it not, not so cooked in an omelet here on a salad bar over there. That's a big one. Um, and if you recall, there was a, a big, a huge problem in the early 2000s, I think, with a large. Uh, California grower, yeah, you have to make everybody whole in a, in a situation like that. That's a huge liability that people don't uh, people don't understand when they come into agriculture. They are, you know, they they need to almost be like food scientists about about um, how how safe they process their food. I, I tell them that I say, if you have extra money, don't don't come to me. Come, you know, you need to go take some classes. You need to go how to learn how to harvest this stuff so that it is immaculate. Um, because a food foodborne illness case is. A, existential threat to any any food business on this scale that you and I would be kind of familiar with. Hmm. And how active, I mean, the the world of, uh, you know, kind of food law, farming law in, in the realm of in the realm of the law, is it a pretty dynamic and like ever-changing thing or has have kind of has, has the law remained more steady than in other areas? Um, that's an awesome question. We we have a lot of change. We have a lot of churn um, in the in food law. Uh, the biggest thing for me, I'm still catching up on my reading for the Food Safety Modernization Act. The the act was passed two years ago. The rules just are coming out now, um, and they released uh, about I think cumulatively over a little bit over a thousand pages of new proposed regulations under that under that law. So I have to read all those, and I have to as I'm going down the list, I have to say, okay, that's for this client. This I might want to bring up to this one. Um, it is dynamic. Um, it keeps me keeps me up at night, reading away. Sure. And so I, I'm feeling a little. I guess if I'm a producer listening to the show right now, I'm feeling like a little overwhelmed. Like you know, the sky is falling, and I have to be like really scared about all this stuff. But I mean, that's I mean that's definitely not a, a vibe that I've gotten from producers in general. And is that because you know, as a whole. The, they've been a lucky group or i mean what what do you think as far as like as we move forward is farming and food production going to become more and more litigious or it's it's plenty litigious as it is um i can only speculate on on why the people on our scale you know aren't more involved in it it might be a traceability issue you know we, we might not have the um production capacity to uh, potentially injure enough people so that it comes back to that you know to that source so that might be that might be part of the problem but um um they might they might you know they might also very well be doing everything properly i don't know um but what i do know is that when i deal with um a very large food producer 
they're extremely circumspect and extremely thorough, and they will put a lot of emphasis on food safety, far more than the, than the people. I hate to say it. I hate to be impolite at anybody's expense, but they do put, they do put more attention um, on, the, on, the, on the, the, the pathogen control part um, than, than most people do who are just getting in. They just don't understand the, the, um, the economic impact that it can have and the legal um, implications of, of something like that. So the resources tend not – I understand that the resources are limited and they tend – uh, not to be there, but even when they do materialize, they go towards something else instead of fixing what you're already doing. Sure. And in the realm of agriculture, you know, there's vegetable production, you know, mm-hmm. livestock, dairy. Um, if I'm looking for like an easy entry point from your perspective, where would you recommend people start? Um, if, if I had, um, I probably can't give economic advice on that. Um, yeah. But I'll tell you, if I, if I wanted to start a farm, and I'm thinking about it too, you know, um, I would start either with eggs or vegetable production. I know they're, they're both very tough and very challenging, but um, those, those would have a, a personal appeal to me. Um, I, I pay – what do you pay for eggs? I pay about $8 a dozen out, out by me, and they're really good. I don't pay. I mean, I have between four and six. Uh, yeah, depending on which stand at the market I go to. When I'm feeling flush, yeah. six. You yeah. know, not so flush, four. That's <laughs> a that's a pretty that's uh, a pretty good price, and that's a pretty decent product. You know, and that has a decent yield on it. Um, it has its risks, of course, but um, it's an emotional decision for me. That's probably where I'd start out. I, I I think I would dig that. I think I'd be into that. So, from a legal standpoint, you're not you you wouldn't say that like something jumps out at you more than the other. Um. If I had to make a food, I'd make something. I would definitely choose to make something that was um, can sterilized from a from a pure like liability perspective. That would be the easiest one. But I understand. I'm not. I'm not trying to be a scold. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's not always the most fun. It's uh, never the most fun. It's never the most fun. I know. But um, but yeah, from a liability perspective, the more heat treated it is, the, the the less memos I have to write. Got it. Got it. So you know, we are inundated here at, at the radio network with really dynamic young uh, folks looking to kind of get into the world of food and, and find their career path. Um, do you see this, feel, this field of food law as, as a way for people to have a professional degree, a professional career, and still maintain a connection to food? Or for people who are currently practicing law, is this something that they can transi- transition into with ease? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm the... Um the LLM program I attended is the program that gave me the agricultural literacy that I needed to be able to feel comfortable. Um, I needed to understand what, what people in this community need. Um, I couldn't have done it. Personally, I couldn't have done it without it. Um, but I do know a lot of plenty of people who haven't gone through a program like that um, who are immersed in a rural community who do know what that community needs. And uh, they've, they've learned it by uh, trial and error. They learned it by, by a mentor. Uh, they've learned it just because that's what's talked about in that community. So that's another pathway to do it. Um, but uh, you, some way you need to be grounded in all of this. All, there's a huge body of law out there that applies to food production and food processors. Um, there, you need some way to get familiarization with that before you can look somebody in the face, sit down with them in your office and say, I know exactly um, what's troubling you. I know how to fix it. Here, let me, let me show you this. Um, that's, that's tough to do. Um, it is a it is a promising field of law. I have I'm betting my whole professional future <laughs> on it. Um, so I know I know there's value in it. I have absolute faith in the um, you know the ability of fellow professionals like me to add value to an operation, a farming operation, whatever. Um, but uh, I, I think I'm, I'm taking a long bet on it. You know I think it's going to take take some time for that to kind of sink in. That uh, we don't always just cause trouble. 
Um, we we want to help you. We want to help you do make your business. Your business is already good. We want to help you do it just a little bit better. Well, on that note, if folks want to find you or get in touch, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, website's probably the best way, um, www.foodlawfirm.com. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us in thank the you studio today. It's been really great talking with you. Yeah, thanks. Stay tuned uh, next Thursday for another episode of The Farm Report. In the meantime, this, like all 30 of our live weekly shows, are available for free as a download through iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. You can also find everything on our website, uh, www.heritageradionetwork.org. We are a member-supported station. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll consider becoming a member by clicking that Donut tab and joining today. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right, thanks for tuning in to the Grow NYC Market Update. We are on the line with Publicity Coordinator Liz Carrillo, and we are continuing our tour of the city's markets. Liz, where are we heading today? Great. Thanks, Erin. Yeah, today we're going to visit bustling downtown Brooklyn. So right at the office steps of our borough president, Marty Markowitz, who, by the way, is a self-proclaimed fresh food lover and regularly shops at green markets, um, is our Brooklyn Borough Hall Green Market. So this season, the Brooklyn Borough Hall Green Market is celebrating its 30th year of being open. So it's a longtime staple in a neighborhood that's been steadily changing for many years. Uh, I love this space because not only is it a transportation hub, so you see all kinds of people, but mostly because it's the only market where we have have so much space. A full market, lots of farmers there, but also lots of elbow room, which is a rare commodity at most green markets across the city, as everybody knows. Um, The market's surrounded by multiple fountains. There is an adjacent corridor lined with benches that leads right into Columbus Park. Also, the local business improvement district provides us with tables and chairs for setting up in the middle of the market, so customers have a place to relax and visit with each other. Um, The Brooklyn Borough Hall Market's open Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays year-round, so on the weekdays, you'll see a lot of downtown commuters, um, people visiting the courthouse. But on Saturday, you'll see a lot more families coming from surrounding residential neighborhoods to shop at the farm stands, drop off textiles for recycling, food scraps for composting, and, you know, all the services we provide at that market. Awesome. So when folks uh, show up to do some food shopping, what can they expect to find? Who are the producers we should be looking for? 
Yeah, since the market's open three days during the week, there's a wide range of producers. Um, what stands out to me is that there are a couple of our South Jersey farmers there, Phillips and Kernan Farms, um, meaning that our customers at Brooklyn Borough Hall get first dibs on spring produce as it's starting to arrive. They'll see asparagus and strawberries one to three weeks before a market that doesn't host a South Jersey farmer. Um, also attending all three days of this market is Wilco Orchards. They have a veritable array of farm products, orchard fruit and berries, vegetables, apple cider, baked goods, including their incredible apple cider donuts. Um, and at this time of year, loads of potted plants and flowers to help get your garden growing. Um, Fred Wilklow, the head farmer, has recruited most of his family to work on the farm in Ulster County, including Albert, who a lot of people at Brooklyn Borough Hall know, Fred and Albert. Um, he's his enterprising son. He's now um, head of a, their hard cider business and sells it at the market through his company, Bad Seed Cider. So the Wilklow family, especially Fred, is very, very popular in Brooklyn. He says he can barely walk a block of Court Street without running into regular customers who he's known for years who inquire about his business and his family. So that's got to be kind of fun for a farmer that lives upstate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome to have that upstate, downstate uh, connection. I also have to throw in a plug for the Bad Seed Cider. There is nothing bad about it. It's so delicious. <laughs> it uh, is very good. It's in my market neighborhood, my neighborhood market too. I love it. So when we when we head over to the Borough Hall area, I mean, after we do shopping, what else would you recommend? Like what else is going on in that area that we should be checking out? Yeah, it all depends what direction you want to walk in. So you head directly north, you'll walk through Columbus Park, um, under the, right under the BQE and into Dumbo. Brooklyn Bridge Park is right there. Um, while you're there, you can grab grub at Superfine, delicious markety restaurant, and Brooklyn Ice Cream Factory right on the water. Um, if you go directly west, you'll walk, you can walk the Brooklyn Promenade and get stunning views downtown Manhattan and the Statue of Liberty. Um, southeast, you could shop at the Fulton Mall, always a fun and interesting experience, or southwest to one of Green Market staff's favorite specialty food stores, Sahadi's. Um, you can load up on all non-farmer's market ingredients, dried fruits, nuts, meats, um, delicious fancy candies, incredible Mr. Middle Eastern prepared foods. So visiting Sahadi is such a treat, a very only in New York experience and one you can do after visiting the Brooklyn Borough Hall Green Market. Nice. Well, now that I have my Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday planned, it's a very full week, but do you guys have other events or things going on that I should be keeping a little space free for? Yeah, so mostly what's happening right now for us is that spring is arriving daily at markets across the city. Asparagus showed up at market yesterday, so look for that rolling in over the next few weeks. Also ramps, green garlic, spring greens, lots of delicious forage foods out there, everything you need to get your spring detox on. Um, but in terms of events tonight, NYU Wagner's hosting a panel series uh, or a panel discussion called Local Governance and Food Systems at NYU. Kim Kessler, the um, food policy coordinator for the city, will be on the panel, someone from Brooklyn Food Coalition. So um, Nevin from the New School. So it's a, it's a really nice lineup of people talking about food systems. Um, and coming up this Saturday, we're going to have 11 Madison Park at the market sign, um, doing the book signing uh, with Elizabeth Jones, who's hosting Food Book Fair, of course. So she hosts all of our book signings in our markets, and we have a nice roster coming up for the season. So um, it's going to kick off this Saturday with 11 Madison there. So very excited to see them. And then I want to give a shout-out, one last thing, to Earth Days next week. Um, and New School is hosting their, their outdoor pop-up sustainability classes um, Monday from 1 to 4 and Wednesday from 1 to 4 in Union Square, um, smack in the middle of the market. The grad students lead workshops throughout the day. So um, that's a really fun way for us to get, get people involved and celebrate Earth Day. Awesome. As a new school alum, I have to, to plug it as well. So thanks for giving us the update. And 
Um, appreciate all all the all the work you guys are doing. If folks want to find out uh, more about what's going on at the markets, get info on cooking demos, book signings, giveaways, find out what growers at what markets, what days, definitely check them out at www.grownyc.org. You can also find them on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, whatever your favorite social media platform is. Make sure you're connected with the green market and make sure you tune in next week for another update from Grow NYC. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.